0: listening to Legal Talk Network. Hello, Legal Talk Network listeners. This is producer Lawrence Coletti coming to you from our home studios. We recently attended the American Bar Association's Mid-Year Meeting in San Diego, California. During our time out there, we sat down with Leanne Buchanan, Stephen Jansu, and Joshua Harris to discuss the country's stand-your-ground laws, as well as their recent report to the ABA titled National Task Force on Stand-Your-Ground Laws Final Report and Recommendations. What you're about to hear is their summary of content as presented, plus other related issues. We now cut to that interview, already in progress.
1: So, the title of the documentary is actually Three and a Half Minutes, Ten Bullets. And what it does is it goes through the story of the trial of Michael Dunn, an individual who shot and killed um, Jordan Davis, a young black, unarmed teenager who was in a vehicle with his friends at a gas station in Jacksonville. So, essentially what the film does is it captures the trial and explores some of the broader themes that intersect with Stand Your Ground laws and also looks at some of the broader social issues um, that are at play. That documentary is what, about 90 minutes? 90 minutes, correct.
0: It Was it just you three or did you have more people with you? Or So
1: the format of the program was um, similar to a format that we're going to be repeating in many cities across the United States. So what we've done is we've entered into an exclusive partnership with the film um, producers whereby we show the film. And it's an opportunity for members of the general public, non-lawyers, to really get a sense of the impact of Stand Your Ground laws with a compelling story. And then we have a panel discussion in which experts, or mem- as, as is the case here, Steve and Joshua are members of the task force, discuss some of the issues relating to Stand Your Ground and the issues raised in our report and recommendations. And then also in later iterations, we'll have an opportunity to share our toolkit and do some training on those issues.
0: Okay, and my understanding of uh, stand-your-ground laws is that they are different from state to state.
2: And I've been directed over to Stephen, so Stephen, what's the commentary on that? Uh, States either uh, choose to adopt the stand-your-ground laws as model legislation that originally started in Florida uh, in whole, or they could uh, adopt components of that. So really there's three prongs that... uh, the Florida legislation looked at, it was one that uh, you have a right now to defend yourself in public or anywhere you legally have a right to be. So that's moving it from outside of the home, which would have been our castle doctrine uh, under common law, that you have the right to defend yourself inside the home if you are attacked. Uh, It looks at uh, granting the individual that uses force not only um, criminal immunity, but also civil immunity, if it is a true stand your ground case. And then the last component would be that there is now a presumption of fear instead of using a reasonable person, objective standard in determining was the use of force necessary and reasonable under that situation. And
0: now we're talking about the use of deadly force here. So if someone, I guess in this case is uh, fearful for their life and they use deadly force kill someone, then that that's the kind of scenario we're talking about here, correct?
1: Exactly. And and what the task force really focuses on highlighting is these instances where there's the use of deadly force in self-defense in public spaces. So essentially what Stand Your Ground uh, laws did, as as Steve explained, and I'll supplement it a little more, is it eliminates the duty to retreat. So at common law, before the passage of these Stand Your Ground laws, you had a duty to retreat if you could safely do so before, um, before... using deadly force in self-defense, but what we're focused on here is in public spaces where you have two people in the same space where they equally probably have the right to lawfully be, um, the use of deadly force in self-defense in that situation.
0: Okay, so since there is a difference between the states, uh, let's have an example of one state that uh, I guess would uh, not be as understanding with the use of deadly force versus one that seems there seems to be presumptions that protect the user of the deadly force.
3: Yeah, um, there, in the most extreme example, we do have, I think, one state that doesn't even have the castle doctrine, which says there's no duty to retreat in the home exclusively. With most states, there was a split, essentially, at the common law where traditionally the some states adopted this idea of the rugged frontier culture and said, um, we're not going to require you to retreat um Justice uh, Oliver Wendell Holmes, one of the great justices, famously said in an early 20th century case that uh, detached reflection can't be demanded at the point of a knife. Uh, the idea being that in those tense situations, we're not going to require someone to flee. But um, the thing that the states did is they codified that notion, um, that's, that um, idea from the common law and statutes and then firmed it up with a lot of procedural protections um, like the one Steve alluded to uh, in, in Florida in particular you can have a pre-trial hearing so if you have an affirmative defense if you have a, a self-defense claim to raise you now don't even have to go to trial to raise that claim you can go in front of a judge and have a mini-trial beforehand to avoid having to go through a whole trial the idea that if you're successful at hearing or if you're uh, successful otherwise that you can be immune from civil liability even if uh, there was recklessness, gross negligence, um, something along those lines. Um, The idea that, for example, uh, again in Florida, um, law enforcement is hamstrung. They need affirmative evidence to rebut uh, a self-defense claim in order to make even an arrest. So there are a lot of ways in which law enforcement is being limited, and defense uh, and defendants are being empowered by these laws. And so it really shifts the balance when it comes to um, investigating and prosecuting these cases.
0: Now, does that uh, shift in the balance in the states that do this? uh, Does that, uh, I guess? work in, in an instance where it's not just your life, so it's the the defendants defending their life. What about the defensive of life of others? Is it, does it also apply to that as well? So like, say a mother with her son is out, a mother uh, perceives the threat, kills the threat uh, on behalf of her son, and is that is that something that's recognized under these laws as well?
1: Yeah, it, it applies equally. So essentially it's the self-defense of yourself or the defense of another. And and if I may, Lawrence, I'll just point out some of the issues that, that Joshu just talked about, These issues are really discussed in detail and at length in the task force final report and recommendation which was published in september 2015 and it was really a culmination of a several year long study that took us across the country where we heard from experts uh, community members prosecutors policy makers defenders on the impact of stand your ground laws on the criminal justice system individual liberties and and looking at the utility of the law so we also did a 50 state survey of these laws, and we looked at what are now the leading empirical studies, uh, looking at the data that bears out the utility or justification of the laws. And so the issues that Joshu just, just, just referenced Are talked about more fully in our our report and recommendations, which is a tool that we're attempting to use in conjunction with the film to educate the public on stand your ground laws. The same questions that you just asked us what are stand your ground laws? When do they apply? What do people mean when they say stand your ground laws? These are the very issues, um, this public misperception about what it is or the lack of understanding is what we are trying to address. Okay.
3: I'm glad that Leanne um, plugged the report because. uh, Uh, And I should also mention that the recommendations in the report were approved as ABA policy by the House of Delegates a year ago at the mid-year meeting for 2015.
0: So how many people, uh, back to the report, I, I do have uh, some other questions about it, but, but uh, to, to the report, uh, how many people were working on that?
1: Well, it was a group effort. So the um, the report is a very comprehensive document that even as recent as a couple days ago was cited by a Florida state senator in a defense of an attempted expansion of standard ground law. So we have the task force, which is comprised of... Um, Appointees from ABA entities that co sponsored uh, the task force, including the Young Lawyers Division, the Criminal Justice Section, the Section on Individual Rights and Responsibilities, the Coalition on Racial and Ethnic Justice, and other diversity entities. But but more importantly, I think we had the buy in from non ABA stakeholders who really lended their expertise to this issue. So, for example, Steve is the appointee from the Association of Prosecuting Attorneys. We had representatives from the National Legal Aid and Defenders Association, the International Association of Chiefs of Police. And then we also supplemented those task force members with expertise drawn from a comprehensive group of advisory committee members. And that's comprised of legal scholars who have done a lot of work and research into the areas such as implicit bias, uh, reasonableness, criminal justice issues, and then also other people um, representing victims' rights. We had um, a Professor Wintermute here in, here in uh, California that focuses on gun violence as a public health issue. So we wanted to bring a very multidisciplinary, expansive focus to addressing what is really a complex legal and social um, issue. And so Hard to name the total amount of people, but if if you look on the back of the report, there's a listing of those who were really involved in the effort.
0: Now, is this a report that's only available for attorneys or can members of the public that want to educate themselves find it as well?
1: So, Lawrence, that's the exact purpose of, of the report. It's available online at the ABA's website. and Free and maybe of charge? Free of charge, and you can download it. We've got a PDF copy that's available.
0: Your membership dues at work here.
1: Yes. <laughs> if you Google ABA Stand Your Ground Law Final Report, it should pop up, and we'll be happy to give you the link so you can make it available to your listeners. But the idea behind the report is... It's for mass consumption. We want policymakers. We want we want legislators to look at this report and allow it to inform their decision making, um, their decision making process in looking at efforts to expand or repeal these particular statutes. And I'll go one step further. One of the recommendations in the report is to do exactly what we're doing right now, which is the public education campaign. And in doing that, we recognized that we need to. Um, arm the public with easy-to-digest information. It doesn't need to be written in lawyer-speak, so we're in the process of creating a toolkit that the public can access right from the ABA's website with easy-to-understand modules and information that they can begin to have these discussions more broadly without the involvement of the task force and the ABA. I have one more
0: question for you, but before we get to that, I think I cut off. Was it Stephen or Josh? You got Someone was going to say something I cut you off. Sorry, Stephen.
2: Oh, I was going to... Uh Say this wasn't uh, you know, a light undertaking. Uh, there, were, there was four different jurisdictions that were selected to hold public hearings. I think over 70 subject matter experts came to those hearings, provided testimony to us. We looked at all the research empirical studies that have now been put together before this report was really compiled. And I think another way to get your hands on the report is to find out when three and a half minutes, 10 bullets is being premiered in your jurisdiction, and Leanne will hand you a copy.
0: So I want to close out on a fun question. We're all all attorneys, or we've been to law school, and we've all uh, talked about the law. We debate the law. We develop the law. So I want to end on a fun note. So um, I don't know where you stand on the Stand Your Ground issue personally or what your belief system uh, might be with it, but what I'd like to do is have one volunteer do the pros for Stand Your Ground and another person do the cons for Stand Your Ground. And maybe we could do it in three pros and three cons just to to, uh, close it out, and then we will direct people towards your report. So they can make their own decision. What do you guys think? I think it sounds like fun. Okay, all right. So who's volunteering for pros? Fun. Sure, pro, pro, all pros right, standing <laughs> ground. Let's do it. Is that Joshua You going to volunteer? Okay, Steven, are you going to be the volunteer for uh, three cons for against standing ground? that. Yeah,
2: I can do a con, and she'll do oh. a con. <laughs>
3: <Okay>. all, <laughs> all right, all right,
0: up. all right. So <laughs> let's. Uh, let, I guess we'll uh, we'll go with you, Joshu, the pros.
3: Well, when I'm a person who is outside my home. What you're telling me when you're requiring me to turn tail and run is I'm going to turn my back to a criminal, to an aggressor. That's something that's not conscionable for me as an American or a human being.
0: All right, how about some cons?
2: When we are out in public, though, the case gets a little bit trickier because often you only hear one side of the story if we have a decedent. So not only does it make law enforcement's job harder, It makes the prosecutor's job harder. Uh, It also puts bystanders uh, in jeopardy of being a victim if there's stray bullets that are fired. And so we have innocent bystanders and innocent parties now and sometimes no avenue to justice because we have a complete bar from criminal prosecution and any civil litigation. Okay. Leanne, close this out.
0: Bring us home.
1: Well, I'm going to take what I think is a neutral approach, which is when you look at... What these laws were designed to do, which is when Jeb Bush signed Florida Stand Your Ground into uh, law in in 2005, he said this was common sense, good legislation. The empirical evidence doesn't necessarily bear that out. Now we know that in states that have passed Stand Your Ground laws, there's a 7.1 percent increase in violent crimes, homicides, burglaries. We also know that in states that have passed Stand Your Ground laws, there's an. 8% increase in homicides overall, notwithstanding the fact that there's a downward trend in homicides um, nationally. And then we also know that in, s- in states where there's been a passage of Stand Your Ground laws, that there's been a 65% increase in findings of justifiable homicides. So that's not even at the charging stage, that is the police determination that, that the use of deadly force um, that resulted in a homicide was justified. And we also now know that there are statistically relevant and significant racial disparities in the application of stand your ground laws. And so, for those reasons, it begs the question are these laws doing uh, more harm than good? And do we really need laws when we had an effective regime and system for addressing the use of deadly force in self defense? I'll pose that question to you, Lawrence.
0: Okay, well, I'm not going to answer. I'm going to direct people to the report. And so let's get a plug one more time for the report where, uh, where listeners can find it.
1: You can find the report on the American Bar Association's website, and it is the National Task Force on Stand Your Ground Law's final report and recommendations uh, dated September 2015. Thank you.
0: All right. Well, thank you so much for stopping by. I want to give you guys one more time. If our listeners wanted to get a hold of you, ask some questions, uh, learn a little bit more, a little bit differently, how can they find you? Let's start with uh, Joshu.
3: I'm on Twitter at Joshu Harris, J-O-S-H-U-H-A-R-R-I-S.
2: Steven, you can go to the Association of Prosecuting Attorneys website at apainc.org.
1: You can find me on Twitter at Amanda underscore Esquire, or you can also contact our staff director, Miss Rachel Pastrick, at the Coalition on Racial and Ethnic Justice, which is an entity of the ABA, and you can find that contact information on the ABA's website.
0: Excellent. This has been another edition of Special Reports. I'm Lawrence Coletti from Legal Talk Network. Until next time, thank you for listening. All right, guys. It was fun. Thank, you. thank you for. Uh,